five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Penguin Random House Canada. From the record-breaking astronaut and author of Endurance, Commander Scott Kelly, comes a new book. Infinite Wonder is a breathtaking collection of photos documenting Kelly's journey on the International Space Station, the vastness of space, and the unparalleled beauty of our own home planet. It includes snapshots of the astronaut's life and work on the International Space Station, from spacewalks to selfies, hurricanes, wrinkled mountains, New York City shining like a galaxy. It's on sale now. My guest this week is Professor Chris Hurd from the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Alberta. We're going to be talking about the Canadian Space Agency Space Exploration Workshop held in late 2016 and the subsequent lengthy report, which was recently released. Welcome, Chris, to the Space Q podcast. Nice to be here. How are you? Very well. So, Chris, in 2016, the Canadian Space Agency held the Canadian Space Exploration Workshop. What was the purpose of the workshop and how many people would you say participated? Uh, there was something like 200 and some scientists and engineers and students that participated in the workshop. And the overall purpose was um, similar to past Canadian Space Exploration Workshops in that the Space Agency wanted to have input from the community, broadly speaking, on what are the priorities for, for science and, and, and space health uh, in the next decade and, and beyond. Um, the difference, though, is that after the workshop, the, uh, the, there were contracts put out to eight different topical teams in, uh, in a wide range of, of disciplines related to space. And over the next two years, those topical teams really delved deep into the, priorita- the prioritization exercise of what exactly Canada should be focusing in, in space, broadly speaking. Now, so... Basically, as we as we talked off offline, this is basically a decadal plan like the U.S. puts forward. So it actually has um, a little bit more oomph, if you will, uh, compared to past uh, space exploration workshops. So um, those eight topical teams came together and then produced a 189-page report that was divided into three sections, space astronomy, planetary exploration, and space health. Um, what were some of the key findings in the report? Well, the report, the report is, uh, is extremely comprehensive, as, as you mentioned. Um, and the, it's really in, interesting to look across the, the different areas. Uh, the one that I'm most familiar with is planetary science and, and exploration. Um, and that encompasses astrobiology, planetary atmospheres, uh, planetary geology, geophysics and prospecting, and planetary space environment. Um, and what's interesting is that you can, if you look across the, the sort of prioritized goals, you can see that there's a, obviously a diversity, but you can also see that certain things come up 
again and again. So Mars comes up quite often, for example, although it's not exclusively the main target, which is interesting as well, because we've, you know, we've sort of have this idea that Mars is the ultimate target for everything that, that we do. But, but when you delve deep like this, you see that there's interest in broadly speaking in, in different planetary bodies in the solar system. So, so that, that would be one sort of in, intriguing thing from, from my perspective. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting about this report is it delves deep into it's really, it, it differs from previous space exploration workshop reports because it, it wasn't just the outcome of whoever was there at the workshop. So to me, that's the, the biggest thing. Each topical team had at least 10 researchers uh, on it, involved in it. Some people were involved in more than one topical team. And that really lended itself to uh, having more in-depth consideration of the, each topic, each priority, uh, and then prioritizing and sort of picking from among all of these great ideas that were put forward um, and making the prioritizing those ones that are most important. And then following on with the other key things that the, this report include, includes are preparatory research, which is what can we do on the ground now that will enable that space exploration later? Um, what technologies should we be actually investing in that'll enable that space, space exploration later? Um, so it's always, just as the space agency is, it's always looking towards flight, but the significant thing is it's also recognizing that there are things that we can be doing now to prepare ourselves for those opportunities. Now, just so I can summarize so that people understand the timeline here, in 2016, the workshop was held. In 2000, November 2017, the report was put out, and we'll include the report on our, on our website when we put this podcast online. Um, and then in, for fiscal years 2017 through 2019, the eight topical teams were then funded to come up with um, science maturation, uh, concept studies, uh, and so forth. Now, those um, uh, topical teams, they're just getting those contracts now, or have they been... I know there was one that was announced last week, which was the, uh, the one for Mars... Um, have there been some other ones that have come out, or is this one of Well, the let's just clarify here, because what happened was the, the workshop kicked off the topical teams right. uh, being established. So those contracts went out shortly after that. So okay. it was more 17, 18 that the topical teams did their work. Okay. Kind of taking the report, sorry, taking the workshop as the starting point and then working through into more into more details and prioritization. So that's what is it's all encompassed within this report now that's been, been released in uh, the last few months. Ah, so the topical teams are then done with their, with their work? That's correct, yes. Okay. Topical teams are done with their work, although the space agency has, has discussed having you know, more support, ongoing support in certain, certain areas to, to continue what basically what these contracts have helped to build, which is the, the contracts themselves just through the process have helped to build right. the community as well. So, so like I said, the, the Mars Sample Fetch Rover Concept Study, which came out last week, yeah, I had a quick look at that, and in that it says it was a product of the workshop. Yeah, exactly. So we're already seeing that, that in, in various um, releases, 
our announcements of opportunity, um, this is being this is the this is the basis now for the Canadian Space Agency actually making its many of its uh, choices in terms of what it's putting out. Okay, so that's very important because what we have here is the community that's come together, uh, that's spent a lot of time uh, to put together this comprehensive plan of what Canada should do over the course of the next 10 years uh, in these different areas that we've dis- the, that, uh, that are in the report. Um, so my next question then comes, okay, so we had the workshop, we had the topical teams go out and, and uh, do some more work on that. We have some concept studies that are now uh, being funded. Um, uh, are we going to see uh, any of this reflected in a space strategy or long-term space plan? Speaking personally, I would hope so. Uh, everything that we have, all the components that you need from the perspective of, you know, of these priorities um, in in space, in science, and space health, is in this report. Uh, so it really does form the basis, or should <laughs> form the basis of of a long-term um, strategy. Um, and really, I think, should be guiding a lot. Now, that's not to say that other things that come up that are not in, in the report explicitly, uh, you know, shouldn't be considered opportunities. This, this is from, the, from the, the community's perspective. This is, these are the things that we should be, be focusing on where we think that there are opportunities. Where, first of all, we think that there is a foundation, you know, that we're not going to be creating something out of nothing to respond to an opportunity that we think that there are, there is already a, a legacy in place uh, that we can build on uh, to, to position Canada uh, if for the future in space. All right. We just have to take a second here to thank our second sponsor for this week's podcast. And that sponsor is the don't let go Canada coalition for 60 years. Canada has been a space leader. We help build the International Space Station and land astronauts on the moon. Back on Earth, we leverage our space capabilities every day to push boundaries in medicine, communications, and environmental monitoring. The clear vision and commitment of previous governments helped drive this forward. But now, our country faces a decision point, and we need to act. Please visit don'tletgocanada.ca and join the campaign to help us keep innovation, jobs, on our best and brightest in Canada. The universe needs more Canada. Don't let go, Canada. Now, all right, so let's dive a little bit into it, because I'm sure people are going to want to have a little more information. Uh, We won't spend much time talking about the space health, uh, because that's not your area of expertise. Uh, and the astrono- space astronomy is also not exactly your area of expertise. You're more into the, the planetary exploration uh, part of the report. where That's where you worked uh, mostly. So of the, the planetary exploration portion of the report, it was broken down into astrobiology, planetary atmospheres, planetary geology, geophysics and prospecting, and planetary space environment. Did you work in all those four areas or just uh, a few of them? I worked in uh, astrobiology and planetary geology, geophysics, and prospecting. Yeah. All right. And out of those um, that you worked on, what were some of the most interesting things that uh, that came out of it uh, to your mind? From the astrobiology perspective, 
uh, it was recognized pretty early on uh, that a fundamental question that we have, if we're going to look for life elsewhere, is how do we distinguish that from non-life, from abiological signatures? So we have a pretty high priority then on characterizing or understanding the target signs of life, which we call biosignatures. Um, and developing instruments that can do that. But coupled with that, you also have to have studies that look at those things that are producing things that could be, that could be interpreted as biosignatures but are not themselves evidence of life. So that's a very interesting it, – it reflects something – it does reflect somewhat what has happened in astrobiology broadly in internationally. Um, but it is something that we, we definitely um, – recognized in that that process also in that sense there's a, there's it's not just mars where there's interest as well there's interest in in uh europa other other targets of astrobiological interest from the planetary geology geophysics and prospecting perspective we have a broad what sounds like a pretty broad uh, uh priority which is just is, which is documenting the geological record and processes that have shaped the surfaces of the terrestrial planets, moons, as well as icy satellites and asteroids, which seems to cover most of the solar system. But that's in, in some ways done a bit on purpose. Um, but it's also because the, the, there is such a rich record that can be read. And so uh, that, that came out on top for sure, uh, because it, it can be addressed through remote sensing, but also through samples. And there's increasing emphasis on sample return. And as we know, Canada is involved in the OSIRIS-REx mission, so we're going to get samples of Bennu. Um, but then just right in the second, right sort of shortly behind that priority is determining the resource potential of the moon, Mars, and asteroids. Um, and so we're recognizing that there is a history and a legacy of, of mining and expertise in this country, and as, as well as an expertise in this analysis and interpretation of samples such as meteorites from other bodies uh, and that we are well positioned in that sense to be involved in the prospecting and perhaps space mining aspect of space exploration. So it recognizes that trend towards, towards that more broadly speaking in space. Uh, so there were, there's a number of things like that that come out of those particular areas. Yeah. I think that's actually fascinating that, uh, uh, in a workshop of this nature where you're bringing in the scientific community and also some industry and some students, um, that uh, resource potential, uh, you know, the, would be included as, as one of the uh, uh, items of interest. Um, now, just going back to the astrobiology uh, portion of it for a second. So uh, in looking through the... Um, some of the items that came up, uh, I noticed that uh, exoplanets is, is also part of that. Um, what type of expertise do we have in that area in Canada? Well, that's an interesting area where it overlaps significantly with the, with the astronomy um, community uh, because there's, uh, if you look at, the, at what the, what's called the Cosmic Origins topical team, there's, there is a goal there of direct imaging of nearby Earth-like exoplanets for biosignatures. So there's a significant overlap there. And um, there's a very strong astro astronomy community uh, that's in, that 
that can be essentially tapped into in conjunction with this uh, astrobiology community. So I think that's going to be an interesting, I mean, I think no matter what background you have, recognizing the pace of discovery in exoplanets, um, it's kind of a no-brainer that that is where things are going. What I think is also interesting is that we need to define what Again, it comes back to this biosignatures. We need to define what a biosignature, recognize what biosignatures really are biosignatures if we're going to apply this to, to exoplanet research. And that involves a whole, a whole Earth kind of view, being you know, for sure that we have life, a whole Earth kind of view to say, and, and understanding the Earth system to say, okay, these are the types of things that we need to look for that are going to definitively say, or not definitively, mind you, but sort of say, all right, among these exoplanets that we're looking at, which ones are, are the highest priority, um, you know, bro broadly speaking, in the, in, the, in the scientific community for future exploration or to, or to train those telescopes on in future. But there's also the, the, it brings in the geology, it does bring in the geology geophysics aspect as well, because you need to have modeling, you need to have understanding of how a planetary body works from the heat flow perspective, from the orbital perspective, all that kind of from, from the influx from, of energy from the star. Um, you know, it's not just the Goldilocks zone, you know, the distance from the star where water is stable. It's all these other aspects that dictate whether water is stable at the surface of, a, of an exoplanet. So it really touches on a number of different scientific areas. Now, um, also in the astrobiology uh, area, um, you mentioned Europa, uh, and I'm assuming uh, Enceladus is also one of those uh, interesting targets. Um, I, there's at least one mission going to Europa in the, in the near future. Uh, is Canada involved in uh, any future mission to Europa or Enceladus? Uh, no, um, but there. What this, and I, I'll, I'll I'll say that what this report and that particular um as an example that particular item or target europa um, or enceladus um, outer outer solar system moons the inclusion of that type of thing in a report like this is significant because what it tells the space agency is that when you have when you put out an announcement of opportunity or you put out something that says we're going to support people who are applying Canadians who are on a team applying uh, for the next New Frontiers, NASA New Frontiers, the next NASA Discovery, that type of thing. It tells them that they need to make sure that that is included, that they shouldn't ignore it, um, because it it says that there's scientific expertise and interest in this country that 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 should be given a chance to compete, right? Instead of so, if it, in other words, if Space agencies, agency says, you know what, we're going to put out this out, we're going to, but we're going to restrict it to specific target. Um, that means you're cutting out part of the part of the community. Now, um, I just want to sort of change tacks here a bit because we're talking about uh, the astron space astronomy community. We're talking about the planetary exploration community. Um, I won't include space health in this because there's been a lot of talk about space health uh, recently, especially with David Sejac and his mission to the uh, International Space Station. Um, you know, there's a, the Don't Let Go Canada 
campaign that's ongoing right now. There's lots of discussion about industry and uh, what should be happening with Canada in terms of space strategy going forward. Is the space astronomy and this planetary exploration community being represented enough in these discussions, do you think? Or, or is it being pushed on the sidelines a little bit? Well, I think that the, I think these communities, uh, space astronomy and planetary exploration are being included. Um, the, the primary mechanism now is through the consultation uh, committees, um, and I'm the external co-chair of the planetary exploration consultation committee. So our members interact with the with our, our sort of constituents to get feedback from them. Um, and and feed that forward into the Canadian Space Agency in in terms of its planning. We provide feedback to the Canadian Space Agency on its proposed plans uh, for the future and also the implementation. And most significantly, right now, the implementation of of activities related to this priorities document. But in terms of the don't let go, I mean the the the, the in terms of the of having a, a voice for space in Canada, there are a number of organizations, I think the Don't Let Go um, initiative is a great one, that are, are really highlighting the need for a, a space strategy. And uh, I think scientists are right there with that because while we have this prioritization document, there's nothing that, that can really be done. And there's, there's very little that can be done in terms of big picture planning or big picture involvement, you know, sort of larger scale expenditure involvement in as with Canada as a partner in a future mission without a long-term space strategy. Now, is there anything else from the report that you'd like to highlight? It's a rich resource. The, the, Priorities document really is a rich resource for for anyone who wants to understand where the scientific community is coming from, but also where we think that investment should be made, where we think that there are there's expertise in certain technologies that could be developed further. I think that's the other interesting thing about this is is recognizing that there's past experience through Canadian involvement in different missions that that means that there's a legacy that can be used towards future opportunities you know with additional but that does need additional investment but we rank those things higher because we say you know what hey that was really good how we did you know lidar on mars with phoenix what else can we do lidar with and the, and we couple that we can consider that in conjunction with the scientific interest and expertise that we have in this country so we say you know what this would be really good to have this type of a lidar for these applications um, that's not to say that, that that's what's dictating, you know, where the technology goes, but it's recognizing that there's a, a basis for those, for that technology, and, and there's a, a, a potential for a greater leverage of that existing technology towards future exploration. Well, Chris, I think that's all the questions that I have, except for our last one, which I try to get all my guests to, to answer. What books uh, have you been reading um, fiction or nonfiction uh, related to this topic or unrelated to this topic that you would uh, recommend to our readers uh, uh, to have a read? 
I just finished reading Kim Stanley Robinson's trilogy on Mars, uh, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars. And um, I would recommend it to the very interested and dedicated reader. <laughs> Those are long books and a bit of a slog if you're, if you're not into uh, the details of multi-generational uh, terraforming of Mars. But I found it actually quite fascinating from the perspective that the author is the type that does his research, which I always appreciate when I read when I read science fiction is the is when the author has done their research on a particular topic and they can speak with some authority about, for example, the the geography and and geology of of Mars in this case. I also found it interesting because I'm involved in in the initiative of uh, or have been involved and am now competing for a spot on the Mars 2020 NASA Mars 2020 rover mission as a return sample scientist. So it's interesting when we're, and I was just actually at the workshop for the the fourth landing site selection workshop uh, for that mission last week. And I find it interesting to read a book like that, where it talks about, you know, places on Mars that have those, those great names in the context of people actually living and working and playing there. Instead of, instead of sort of thinking about where to send a rover specifically to find samples to bring to bring back, so I I guess I have a bit of a different experience than some people in reading, than the average person maybe in reading reading a book series like that. But I will I will just say that they're long long books and uh, it's a you have to be dedicated if you want to read those. So I had the opportunity to um, work with Stan. Uh, on the steering committee uh, and the board of directors of the Mars Society 20-odd years ago. Uh, And so uh, people in university today may not have heard of uh, the trilogy, uh, the Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars, Um, but uh, it is definitely worth reading. Uh, I I think in in terms of order, Red Mars was really interesting. I don't think that one was a slog at all. It was quite fascinating. Um, I agree, yeah. And then uh, Green Mars was uh, quite good itself. And then Blue Mars, it started to get a little bogged down, if you will. But it is a fascinating trilogy, and uh, Stan is meticulous, in, like you say, in in, in the detail. All right. Thank you, Chris, for being uh, a guest on the podcast. I hope we will get you uh, on the show again sometime in the future. Be my pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Q podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash spaceq. We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.